rather. Um, but even in a, in a casual reading of the Word of God, sometimes you'll come across stuff, you'll scratch your head and say, man, that doesn't seem like it lines up with other verses in the Bible. And, uh, and so uh, it's not a bad thing to look at those and examine them and find out, hey, what is this trying to say and what do these mean? So Exodus chapter number 33, and I want to read a portion of Scripture that maybe you know, maybe you're kind of familiar with, uh, but uh, it's Moses, and he is, him and, and the Lord are talking, and it says there in verse number 17, Exodus chapter number 33, in verse number 17, the Bible says, The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now go back with me uh, in the same chapter, Exodus chapter 33, just one verse, verse number 11. Well, let's go to verse 9. We'll catch the context, full context there. Verse 9, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh to his friend. And he turned again to the company or into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And, uh, and let's just stop right there, and then let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our text this evening, and really look at this passage and examine uh, some of the thoughts and, and ideas there. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather in your house around your word, and for the privilege that we have, Father, to have a, uh, a Bible in our and carry it with us and have one in our homes and have one everywhere we go. Father, what a privilege that we have to have your word of God. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would touch hearts. I pray that you would help us, give us understanding minds, give us open um, hearts, Father, uh, to understand your word. And Father, we'll be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As I read these two verses, uh, verse number 11 would be key there. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face. And then verse 20, uh, the Bible says there in the latter part, it says, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And, uh, and it would seem like, boy, that's 
contradicting. I mean, here in verse 11, Moses is talking face to face with God. And in verse 20, it tells us, God says, hey, no man can see my face and live. And so some would point out, hey, that is a contradiction. And even in a casual reading, you would find this as it's right in the same chapter and and it would kind of jump off the page at you. And so I want us to look at these and and understand uh, some things about the Word of God that I believe are important. And uh, the more you would study, uh, you'd find that this is not just an isolated passage, but rather there's several passages that deal with seeing God face to face. Uh, I'll give you some of the verses. You can jot them down. This is not all of them by any means, but Genesis chapter 32 and verse 30 uh, mentions seeing God. I believe that's talking about Jacob when he wrestled with God and saw God face to face. Uh, Exodus 24, 9 through 11 uh, talks about uh, some of the people in the Bible seeing God face to face. Deuteronomy 5, 24. Uh, or Exodus 33, 11, rather. The one we just read talks about Moses seeing God face to face. Deuteronomy 5.24 talks about men seeing God face to face. Judges 13.22 would be Samson's parents. Remember that uh, the Bible says the angel of the Lord uh, did wondrously and uh, they had offered a sacrifice to God and then the angel of the Lord uh, did marvelously, the Bible says, and then he disappeared into the sacrifice and ascended up into heaven in the flame of the sacrifice. And, uh, and so that, and they said, oh, we've seen the face of the Lord. And then they said, we're not dead. And, and uh, it's kind of an interesting passage, but they thought, hey, we've seen God, we're going to die. And so that's an interesting passage to look at. Isaiah 6, 5. Uh, and, and that is uh, also a vision of seeing the Lord. Uh, now, several passages that talk about not seeing God, and you can't see God, is Exodus 33, 20. John 1.18, John 6.46, Jesus is talking, those verses are very similar, and he says, no man hath seen the Father. 1 Timothy 6 and 16, verse 16 talks about God being invisible. And then 1 John 4.12. And, uh, and I want us to look at these. We're not, we're not going to look and examine at every single one of them just for sake of time. But I thought it's good for you to have them. Just jot them down and you can go back and reference them and, uh, and read them. And Lord willing, I'll be able to give you enough. Uh, I'll be able to give you the right tools that you can go back and you can go through those things. And you can say, well, what, is, uh, what do these mean? And what are these verses? And this can be a real issue for new Christians, especially those who are just saved. Uh, they look at these things and they say, man, that's, that Bible doesn't make sense. And they, they can really throw them for a loop. And so uh, it's important for us to understand this. And how we handle these contradictions is very important. And so that's one of the things that we will definitely touch on. And it's not something that can be ignored. We can't just say, well, uh, you know, I don't know. We'll just move on and, and go on. These are some important things that I think they're, they're legitimate. They're a good question. And the question basically was asked, why do these seem to contradict themselves? And, uh, and so I'll start off in our text here. And, uh, and there is an apparent contradiction. And I call it an apparent uh, because it's not necessarily a contradiction, uh, and we'll get to that. But where, why do, why, why do sometimes uh, we see things like that, and and we have to be careful that how we look at those things. 
Uh, in other words, there's a crowd that would undermine the Word of God. Now, I don't think that's us. I don't think the question was phrased in a, in a uh, let's undermine the Scripture. Uh, but, there, but we have to recognize there is a crowd like that. And they desire to undermine the authority of the Scripture. And so they will point out questions to you like that. And, uh, and listen, there's a crowd that is, that is easily swayed. Those new believers who do not know, and maybe they've only been in a church for a little time, and the book of Ephesians talks about that. In Ephesians 4.13, he says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, Children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slay of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Listen, that was true back then and it's still true today. There are people who would love nothing more than to undermine your faith and cause you to doubt the very word of God. And so we must be careful and recognize that there exists people like that who would seek to undermine the authority of the Word of God. There's another crowd, uh, not just a crowd that's easily swayed, and they, they, would, uh, they would be uh, rocked by, by being presented some of these things, but there's a crowd also that's, man, they're, they're just looking for an excuse to, for a way out. They don't want to believe in God. They don't want an authority over them. They're rebellious at heart, and they don't want anyone telling them what to do. Therefore, at the very first evidence of any kind of contradiction, they're like, that's my escape door. See right there? This is why, and this is why, and this is why. And they'll gladly name the reasons, even though they can be very easily cleared up. But they're looking for an escape hatch, and that's what they've found, and that's the way that they want out. And so there's a crowd looking for a way out. And, uh, and so we need to understand uh, there are those people that are out there that are trying to undermine the Word of God. Now, I think this would be our crowd, and that would be those of us who would want to understand the Word of God. There's a big difference between the two. Um, you know, you can, you can ask the same exact question. We used to have, I love Patch the Pirate, and, uh, and in, in my house... We would, uh, we would sing this little song, and I only remember this, this little line of it, the, the tone of your voice makes a difference. That's very true. You can, ask, you can ask the same exact question, but the tone of how you ask it is what makes all the difference in the world. You ask it one way, why on earth does that say that? That's an undermining tone that says, I'm not interested in really clearing up what this has to do. I'm looking for a way out, and I'm looking to draw people out. On the other hand, it's like, now I wonder what this is trying to say, or I wonder what this means. And trying to understand it. That's not trying to undermine. There's nothing wrong with us as Christians being studious. Matter of fact, the Bible warns us, Timothy tells us, or Paul tells Timothy rather, he says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so there are things in the Word of God that are difficult and that we do need to study. We do need to understand. And in the understanding crowd, sometimes there's, there's, there's the simple crowd. And they say, well, 
I believe God. They're not trying to undermine the authority of God, but they'll just leave it at that. Well, I believe God, and I'm not for sure after that. And sometimes there are things, there are limits that we, we just hit a wall. And some people are better at some things. Some people are better at other things. I'm not very electrical. Um, I, I know enough to get myself in trouble as far as electricity goes. And it's not really hard to get yourself in trouble. You touch the wrong two wires and it's trouble. But I'm mechanical. And I can, I can take things apart and put things all back together. I, I'm very mechanically minded. I can figure out how things work, but I can't figure out electricity. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Uh, and, and so, you know, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. And some people may be good at some things in the Bible. And some th- people might be better at other things in the Bible. And so sometimes we hit a cap, we hit a limit, and we're just not able to grasp and understand everything. Uh, but, but we ought to study and do the best we can to try and understand stuff. And, uh, and so we understand that there is an apparent Contradiction. In other words, there's two verses that seem to say the opposite thing. That's what we're looking at. And there's an apparent contradiction, and we're not looking at it with the idea of undermining Scripture. We're looking at it with the idea and the mindset to understand what God is saying. And so we have an apparent contradiction. Not only do we have an apparent contradiction, but I have to say this because this is so important. We have the accuracy of the Bible. And I have to say that because when we start to look at apparent contradictions, we must be sure of our foundation. If our foundation is not sure, we have to go back to the beginning and understand why the Word of God is our foundation. And I'm preaching this evening in English. And that means uh, I'm not preaching in Greek and I'm not preaching in Hebrew. I'm preaching in English. And we believe the King James Bible to be our authority. The preserved, inspired Word of God for the English-speaking people today. And I don't just say that because, well, I, I think it's a good thing to say. I've studied. I've spent hours. And, uh, and when I, I remember when I went to the mission field. And I started seeing some things in, in the Bible in Spanish, and I thought, man, I wonder why they're different. And I thought, you know what I had to do? I had to stop. I had to set everything aside. I said, I have to go back, and I have to reestablish my foundation in English before I can evaluate another language. Because I need to know what I believe. And I need to know where it comes from. And so I did that. I went back and studied. And, and I believe that laying the foundation firmly on the Word of God is something that is super important for us. Go, go with me. We're going to turn to a few verses here that I believe are important to see. And I'd ask you to mark Exodus 33 and hit pause on that apparent contradiction because we're going to come back to that. But we have to establish the foundation of the Word of God. Psalms chapter number 12 Psalms 12. I want, I want us to see these verses. We say this a lot. We say we believe the Bible, and, and that's a good thing. But I want to show us why we believe the Bible. I believe that's important. Find the accuracy in the Word of God. Psalm chapter 12 and verse number 6. The Bible says, The words of the Lord are pure words silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times 
Verse 7, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The words of God are pure. That word pure means free from moral defilement, without spot, not sullied or tarnished, incorrupt, undebased by moral torpitude. Holy is another word. And can I tell you this evening that the words of God that we have, the Word of God that we have in the English King James Bible is the pure Word of God. If I had two cups up here tonight of water, I only have one, but if I had two, and I said, man, these are pure, pure water, and I had another cup, and I have a little bottle of rat poison back here, and I say, you know, I just one drop, I'll just put one little liquid drop in one of the cups. I were to give it to you, and I'd say, well, which cup would you want? Man, I'd want the pure water. I mean, I lived in South America. I know what bad water is, and I know what it does to you. And I don't want a little, I don't even want a drop of rat poison in my water. I want my water to be pure. And, and the Bibles, uh, when you take two Bibles, and you lay them side by side, and you read verses out of them, and they do not say the same thing, there's something wrong. And it doesn't matter what language it's in, for all my bilingual friends. Well, anyway, they might be out there somewhere. Um, in English, if you take two Bibles and you lay them beside each other, and they do not say the same thing, there is a problem. And they will tell you all the time, well, it's just easier reading. No, that is a lie from the devil. It is not easier reading. Uh, they have cut portions out of the Word of God because it's based on an 1881 uh, uh, critical text that, uh, that Westcott and Hort had established. And so it, it is not the same as the King James Bible. It is not just rewritten so that it's easier to read and easier to understand. They have messed with the fundamentals of the text. They have taken the name of Jesus out many places. They have changed things. And they have messed with the doctrines that are established in the Word of God. The Bible says right here, the words of the Lord are pure words. It's complete. It is unsoiled. It is without error. It is something that has not been messed with. And so the Word of God is pure. It's free from moral defilement. It's free from all the admixtures that would be put in or taken out. And so we need to understand that the Word of God is pure. The Bible says, you can just note this down in Proverbs chapter number 30 and verse number 5, every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. So the Word of God, we notice, is pure. Not only that, but it says there in verse number 7 in Psalm 12, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them, from this generation forever. Listen, the Word of God is not just a pure Word of God. Uh, it was pure in its originals, and it was, it's pure in the translation that we have of the King James Bible, uh, but it is also preserved. It was preserved in the originals, and it's preserved in the King, English King James Bible that we have today. In other words, God has preserved it down through the time. And that's important to understand uh, because God has promised that He would preserve His Word. 
And, uh, and some people are like, well, where's the Bible at? Listen, it's right here. You don't have to go looking very hard or very far to find the Word of God. The, the Bible is preserved for us. And let me tell you something. You ought to thank God that we have a Bible that you can carry around with you. You, can bring, you probably have, I've got two in my office. I've got three at home. I've got one right here at the pulpit. I'm just saying we, we are so blessed with the Word of God. We don't know the price that was paid for these guys to translate the Word of God. Uh, you go back and you study the history of the Word of God. I, I'm especially partial to the, uh, to the Spanish uh, history of the, the Spanish Bible because I know it. I know the English history as well, but, but I'm especially partial to the, the history of the Spanish Bible because there was a Catholic priest. I'll just give you a real brief overview. My wife's like, no, not the Spanish Bible. He'll talk for hours. And I will. I love it. But, but the, the, there, was a, there was a Catholic convent in Spain and I love this. Somebody smuggled Christian literature into that Catholic convent. Praise the Lord. And, and Casiodoro de Reina, he got saved reading that Christian literature that was smuggled into that convent. As soon as he got saved, he thought, he left the convent and he thought, I have got to get the Word of God into the common language for every man in Spanish. So you know what he did? He started translating the Word of God in Spanish. He was running for his life because the Catholic Church wanted to kill him. It was not legal to have the, the Word of God written in Spanish. And, uh, and he did the best job that he could while he was running from the Catholic Church, translating the Scriptures. And, uh, and he completed his work in 1569, I believe. And, uh, and another fella, um, um, Cipriano de Valera, come along. And you know what? This is, this is the irony. This is the Lord. He was a Catholic priest in the same convent. Somebody had smuggled Christian literature into that convent. He got saved. He left that convent. And he, while he was running for his life, said, I have got to get the, Spanish, uh, the Bible into the Spanish language for, so that every person can read it. He picked up Casiodoro de Reina's work, and he started working on it while he was running for his life to translate the Word of God, finished in 1602. And that's just kind of a brief history of where the Spanish Bible came from. And I'm just telling you, those men paid a price. They were running for their lives from the Catholic Church. And, and there's, there's plenty of people who have done that in English. They've done it in other languages. People who were afraid for their lives and could not go out in public and had to be careful where they went because they were busy translating the Word of God. What a blessing that we have the, the Bible. We carry it everywhere we go. We have it on our phone. You have it on your tablet. You have it in, your, uh, in, in a hard copy. And you have it just the availability of the Word of God. And I'm just saying that God did a miraculous work in preserving His Word. The Bible says in Matthew 5.18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Just saying that God has put a lot to preserve His Word. And we have the pure Word. We have the preserved Word. We have the perfect Word. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished 
uh, unto all good works. And we find that, listen, the Word of God is a complete, it is a perfect Word of God. And why am I spending so much time on this? Because our, our goal and our mindset is not to undermine the authority of the Word of God. This is the foundation. And our goal is to understand what God is trying to say. We're not trying to undermine the Word of God. And so we have the accuracy. We have the alleged contradiction. We have the accuracy of the Bible, and it is accurate. All that being said, let's go back to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. And we find here in verse, let's review our verses really quick one more time. Exodus 33, verse number 11. The Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. You say, preacher, do you believe that's right? I believe that's 100% accurate and right. It is the pure, preserved, perfect word of God. I believe God said what he wanted to say. Verse number 20. And he said, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Preacher, do you believe that's right? I believe that's accurate. I believe that is the preserved, pure, perfect word of God. So both of those things. So how do you reconcile those? Well, I don't know 100%, but I'll give you a few things that I was able to study and think about. And, and one of them is that if you look at the passage, especially here we, we, a couple weeks ago, we talked about looking at the context. And if you look at the context that we read earlier, verses uh, 19 down through, verse 19, he says, And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But that first part, he says, I will make all my goodness to pass before thee. God, who is infinite, who is all-powerful, who we sometimes have a hard time wrapping our head around God. I don't know about you, but I do. I mean, His ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are higher than ours. And sometimes my mind cannot comprehend the fullness and the entirety of who God is. I'm just telling you who I, that my thoughts. And so God is saying here, I am going to allow my entire goodness and, and righteousness and holiness to pass before you, Moses. He said, but I'm going to... I want you to go up into this crevice and I'm going to cover you with my hand so that you can't even accidentally get a glimpse of my entirety of my goodness. And after I've gone by, I will remove my hand so that you can have a small glimpse of who I am. That's what God is saying. And so God did that and he said, if you were to see, and I think this is referencing the fullness and the goodness and the entire uh, holiness and righteousness of God, uh, sinful man would not be able to withstand the presence of that much holiness. I'm just saying that's how holy God is. We say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's in the scriptures, it's in the songs, and He is holy. And we as, as, as human beings, we as people who are saved and born again, who have, have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as our own personal Savior, listen, we still have this sinful flesh. 
And we're not nowhere near as holy as Almighty God is. And I don't think that our flesh, in the way that it is now, could be in the presence of the entirety of the holiness of God and withstand it. And I think that's what God is saying. He's saying, listen, you can't see all of me. And that's why he said, uh, but when he uh, spoke face to face before, listen, that doesn't mean that God allowed his entire holiness and presence right there face to face with Moses. I hate, I hate to use TV references, so I won't even give the name. But uh, there was years ago, there was a TV uh, fella, and, uh, and you would always see the guy, but, but every time you saw him, this is all you saw of him. You always just saw him like this. And he'd step away, and there would be a bush right there, and you wouldn't see anything more than here up. And then he would turn around, and, and he would do something else, and hold a magazine up. And you'd, have, all you'd, you'd only ever see from here up. You could see his eyes, but you never knew what his whole face... I don't know if they ever did finally show him. Uh, but, uh, but you couldn't see the whole fella. And what I'm saying is that, that, that much of him was blocked, and yet he would talk face to face. And I'm saying God could talk face to face with Moses without revealing the entirety of who he was and his holiness. Because God is God. And he knew that if he did allow his full holiness to be viewed by Moses, that it would kill Moses' flesh. He would not be able to handle it. And so I'm just saying, that's what I believe. That's what I think of that scripture. Uh, somebody said this. Uh, it's a, it's a, he wrote this. This is well explained by Rabbi Jehuda in Sefer Kosrite. I have no idea what Sefer Kosrai is, and I spent a while looking it up, and I couldn't find any of it. It's a book in Latin, to my understanding. But, uh, but So this was translated in English. But here's what he said. He said, Of that divine glory mentioned in the Scripture, there is one degree which the eyes of the prophet were able to explore, another which all the Israelites saw as the cloud and consuming fire. The third is so bright and so dazzling that no mortal is able to comprehend it. But should anyone venture to look on it, his whole frame would be dissolved. In such inconceivable splendor is the divine majesty revealed to the inhabitants of the celestial world where he is said to dwell in the light which no man can approach unto. And so God dwells in heaven in His fullness, in all of His glory, but He is certainly capable of allowing man to have a glimpse of Him without seeing His entirety. Of his holiness. One of the what, what, why is this so important? One of the one of the verses, one of the things that uh, that that boggled my mind, if it were. I was witnessing to somebody, and, and I was talking to them, and and uh, and they said they said, well, Jesus isn't God. I said, oh yes, he is. And they said, no man can see God at any time, or he'll die. And I thought, I'll be back after a while. I was, I'd never heard that before. And I thought, man, that's crazy. I never, I mean, I grew up in Baptist churches my whole life and learned the Bible. Nobody ever told me that. And, and so I went back and, and, and if you think about it, if you've never heard it, I mean, it, it'll cause you to stumble. It'll cause you to stop and it'll cause you to think. And you all say, man, I, 
I don't know that I have an answer for that. But, but after thinking about it, you realize that Jesus Christ was God incarnate. He took on the flesh of man. And so you can see a, a, a veiled portion of God. He was veiled in human flesh. So you didn't get the fullness of God in Jesus Christ, not in view. Understand that. I'm not saying Jesus was 100% God. I'm not saying He was not. But it was veiled in that flesh. It was hidden so that man could not see the full glory of God. And so it is possible to see God, but not see His fullness. Uh, what's another example? I thought of this, and uh, this may be a modern example for the modern people, uh, but, uh, but you know, uh, all my kids, they, they think telephones are to be used like this. They didn't grow up with a telephone like this. And so they all use a phone like this. And, and when they do that, uh, there's a person in that little screen, and they're looking at them. But that person in that screen is not really there in the room with you. You're looking at a portrayed image of that person. That person is not this big. They're much bigger than that. They're, they're bigger than four and five inches tall and four, three inches wide or whatever it is. That, you understand what I'm saying? It is a portrayance of that person, but you're not seeing the fullness of that person. It is not the real deal. If you get mad at that person, you go, they don't feel it. It's not going to bother them. And if you flick them or if you throw them because you're tired of talking to them, that's not going to bother them at all because that's not them. It is simply a portrayance of them. And so the same thing with God, that we have not seen the fullness of God. And that's what I believe uh, is this. Now, could you come up with another theory? Yeah, you could. And I'm giving you my opinion. So if you came up with another opinion that did not undermine Scripture, I said, well, that might be. I don't know, you know, because we are speculating on things that we don't understand. And if somebody disagreed with me on this and they didn't undermine Scripture, hey, the Lord will straighten us out when we get to heaven. Because there's a lot that we don't know and that we don't understand. I really quick want to hit all of these verses just really quick. Genesis 32, 30. And I want to just give you some of my thoughts, Genesis 32, 30, and if you're quick, you can flip through these with me. Genesis 32, verse 30, it says, this is talking about Jacob when he wrestled with God. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and his last phrase, and my life is preserved. And so he saw God face to face, but I don't believe he saw the fullness of of God's holiness. And I do believe that, that Jacob did see God, and he did see Him, but he didn't see the fullness of Him. Uh, Exodus 24, 9 through 11, you can mark this down as I read that. It seemed to me to be a vision and not so much as an actual appearance of God uh, to a person. It was more so a vision. You go back and you can read that and you can uh, figure it out for yourself. Exodus 33, 11, we talked about that. Uh, did not, I don't think that Moses saw the fullness of God. Uh, Judges 13, 30. Um, that's not right. Judges chapter 13. I don't think that's the right uh, reference either. 
Judges chapter 13. Let me get over there and I'll tell you. It is the right chapter, I think. Verse 22. Yeah, that's right. You'd have to go back up to, I think, uh, several verses up to see the reference of the whole thing. But uh, we'll go with verse 21 because I... I We'll go with verse 20. The Bible says, For it came to pass when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar and Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands, neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would uh, as at this time have told us such things as these. And so I think they also saw the Lord. I don't think they saw the fullness of the Lord. I think actually in the Old Testament, whenever you see the angel of the Lord, uh, I believe that's a Christophany. That would be Christ that appears in the Old Testament. And uh, before he was born, obviously on this earth, uh, in, in the New Testament. And so, uh, but it, nonetheless, it is an appearance of God. And again, I don't think they saw the fullness of God. Isaiah 6, 5, we don't have to turn there. That is a vision. He says uh, in, in Isaiah 6, 1, that he saw a vision. Go with me to John. We'll, 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 we'll skip John. You can read John 1, 18. That is Jesus saying that no man has seen the Father at any time. And again, I would say that's not the fullness of the Father. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I do want you to see these verses. I believe these are important because we have several verses, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 14. And the Bible says this, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of, the Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, is, which in His times He shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting." I think verse 16 there is pretty clear. 1 Timothy 6.16 is that the Bible says, uh, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see. And I think that talks about the fullness of the glory and holiness and righteousness of our God that man is incapable of being in God's presence. And so uh, I believe that lends itself to the idea that it is the holiness of God that we cannot approach in our fleshly state as we are now. Uh, you remember in 1 Corinthians, hey, when we're raptured out of here, uh, that this corruption must put on incorruptible. Praise the Lord for that. That means, hey, we'll no longer be corruptible. Uh, we'll have a, 
a perfect, a glorified body, and we will be able to be in the presence of the fullness of the glory of God at that time. But right now we can't. And so I think that's my opinion. That's what all of that means, and that's what, uh, how I would look at that alleged con- contradiction. And the last one is the assessment. I didn't give you that, of the contradiction. And, and that's taking those verses and looking at them and saying, well, the Bible's not wrong. So, so how can we understand this? And how can we, uh, with, without, without distracting from or without going against the Word of God, how can we understand to the best of our ability what these verses mean? And, uh, and I hope that that helps you because there are other passages, there are other things that you'll run into in the Word of God. And, uh, and we need to be able to, uh, as, as mature adults, look at them and say, I wonder what this is trying to say. I wonder what God means exactly by that. And sometimes we'll say, I don't know. And other times we'll say, maybe it's this. But I can promise you this, when we get to heaven, God will straighten us all out. Then we'll know and we'll understand better those things that we don't understand. So I hope and pray that that is a help and a blessing to you as we stand to our feet. We'll have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, thank you for your word, so rich, so true, so inexhaustible in all reality, the depth, the greatness of your word. God, what a wonderful, wonderful book that you've given us. God, I pray that you'd give us understanding hearts and help us as we look at some of these things sometimes, and God, as As mere humans, we scratch our heads and we try and understand to the best of our ability who you are. God, we certainly love you and appreciate how good you are to us and that you would save us. God, thank you for your many blessings in our life. God, I pray that you would just bless each and every person as only you can. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have just a short hymn of invitation, maybe you just want to thank the Lord for His book. Whatever the need, the altar is always open. Again, I appreciate your faithfulness. You can go ahead and be seated. And uh, I, I went a little longer than I anticipated, but we we do have some prayer cards. Um, are there still prayer sheets back there? I was going to check, and I got distracted, and I forgot. There are. If you do not have a May prayer list, if you just raise your hand, and Brother Danny Beetle will get you one of those. And. Uh,